What is up, slap happy strangers? Who's slap happy? Slap happy. Is it you? No, I'm not slap happy. <laughs> uh, start, it's not me. <laughs> starting out with a warning that I feel like absolute garbage today, so I'm what? gonna yeah, I'm gonna try to make this episode good, but I just don't feel good. Um, <sighs> that means I'm gonna have to take over. You're gonna and have make to carry the weight for this episode, <laughs> but I we're doomed. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I took one of my students. One of my students asked to go for a break. Was it yesterday? Hold on. Before you start your story, yeah. And if anyone's just tuning in for the first time <laughs> and you don't want to hear us complain about the weather, how crappy we feel, and all the rest of our first world problems, yeah. <laughs> just look at the show notes. <laughs> Kurt's going to post the time of the actual topic starting, so feel free to fast forward through all this. But unless you want to hear us do a taste test yeah. and things like that, but it's your loss if you want to fast yeah. forward. But going back to Kurt's world problems. Yeah, Kurt's um, world problems. <laughs> Yeah, because I took a student for a walk around the school, and I don't know what I did. I, it wasn't like I was jumping off the stage in an auditorium or anything weird like that. <laughs> oh God, but I, I got not. back to the classroom, and my back just hurt. Hmm. And With back issues, you can just take one wrong but I, step. I, I know, but I never really have back issues. And uh, Kurt, you're getting old. I know. And it was a little sore last night when I went home, and but not bad. Did you sleep funny? Well, I don't think so. But um, is this where you're going to tell a story? Yeah. What happened was I went to bed. I think I was I zonked out by like seven fifteen last night, and uh, nine fifteen I woke up and I had a pee. Mm -hmm. So I went to get up out of bed, and just the worst shooting pain I've ever had Mm. in my life in my back, Mm. and I could barely stand up. I couldn't even like like sit up straight in bed. Mm. So I rolled to the end of the bed. I was freaked out that I wouldn't have been that I couldn't get out of bed. So I rolled like to the end of the bed and then I managed to get up out of bed and I took a couple steps and I put my head against the door frame in my bedroom and all of a sudden I have like a fan running. All of a sudden all sound completely went out. It just like faded away. Were you going to pass out? And I started feeling like I was going to pass mm. out. I started like <clears throat> like blacking out and getting super and I'm I, this is like one of those times in my life where I'm like should I like I don't know if I should dial 911. Right. I didn't know what was happening and it, it was bad, and I sat there for like just trying not to pass out or whatever for a minute or so. Then all of a sudden, the sound like gradually came back in, mm. and it was almost like a panic attack. But I, I don't, think so, yeah. But I don't think it was a panic. I don't. I don't know. It was like when I had the panic attack last year. But that sounds but like why? A panic attack. Why would I've had a panic attack? Because I I'm mean, sure my back hurt, but it wasn't. It scared you. Maybe you weren't expecting it. Maybe you because when when I fell in the woods, I just remembered when I fell in the woods with Aaron. Same thing happened. Yeah, and I almost passed out. So maybe that's what it yeah. was. But it sucked, and it's like I hate it that I'm to the point now where like I don't know should I dial nine one one. You know that stuff scares me, and it sucked. And I couldn't. My ibuprofen was in my computer bag from school, and I couldn't even bend over to get it. Oh. But I managed to get a coat hanger, and then use the coat hanger part to hook my bag up so I could pick up my bag. And then I took the ibuprofen and. Uh, I finally, well, I peed. And then I finally, <laughs> I finally went, crawled, I managed to get back in a bed. And then, but then I was up and uh, all night on and off, you know, so I just feel like absolute garbage. Well, I feel your pain. I've had, I have like a disc issue in my lower back and oh I get God. spasms. That sounds like a spasm actually, but mine will be every time I try to move and Jim will have to actually help me get like dressed yep. and undressed yep. and to the bathroom and it's yeah. it's bad when I, when I climbed back into bed last night i was like i didn't even know if we were gonna be able to do the podcast today mm-hmm. i didn't know if i could even get out of bed well when you texted me this morning i'm like do you want to try skype <laughs> no because 
I mean, I was able, I'm able to walk around getting into my car sucked, but other than that, it wasn't horrible. Sometimes you don't want to sit around because then you get more stiff. And yeah. Sometimes yeah. Because I, I woke up at, I got out of bed at like four mm. and then I went and sat in the chair in the living room for a little bit. And then when I got up out of there, it hurt even worse. Yeah. So it just, like I said, I'm tired and now I think I'm getting a cold on top of all that because I started sneezing like crazy on the way down here. My mm. head is stuffed up. Maybe you're allergic to me. I might be. <laughs> so I feel like a bag of complete garbage. So um, on that note, <laughs> on that note, hopefully this is an okay episode. I'm trying to power through it. But before this was interesting, before oh, yeah. the back incident yesterday, and I texted Krista right away. Mm-hmm. It was weird because um, I don't want to say specifically where it was in the school because some of the students listen to this. Yeah, and you don't want and they're convinced out. that the school is haunted. Yeah, and I'm starting to become convinced now that mm. the school is haunted. But uh, one of the little boys from class. His, his worker came and got him out of class and he went out in the office or they were going out in the hallway and he threw up all over the floor. Mm. And they went up to the office and I stayed there because nobody is technically supposed to walk near it until a custodian comes down and cleans it and all that stuff. So I was down in the hallway completely by myself and I'm standing there and like right next to me, I heard a youngish voice say, Mommy. It's so freaky. Like clear as day. And I turned thinking that somebody had walked out of one of the classrooms and came right by me. And there's nobody there. And there was a classroom on my side, but those were my students. So I would have recognized any of their voices. It was not their voices. Mm-hmm. And it was clearer than it would have been because I could hear them through their Talking, through the door, yeah. like murmuring in the door, like in the room through was the, the doorway. Room, was the door open? The door was open. Okay. But the voice was closer to it me. Right it was like right to next to me. Yeah, that's weird. And it was weird. It was like, I couldn't tell if, I think it was a boy. It was like a younger, younger, it could have been a sixth grade, like saying mommy. Like it was, yeah, so it was weird. Hmm, so I messaged you right away. So now I'm becoming convinced that there's something going on in that school there. Hmm. You know, students say that they see stuff. So I don't know, but it's weird. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you've had a, an eventful uh, <laughs> last eventful, 24 hours. Yeah, I have. How are you? Oh, fine. um we should talk about may so oh yeah we're we're stopping the show (laughs) yep it's all over in may (laughs) we had enough we only got one new shout out today should i do that yeah let's do that. that's why we're stopping the show we don't get any new listeners nope nobody's joining the stranger other than cordell relerford thank you so much cordell for listening to us and for joining the strangers welcome to our crazy strange family okay now talk about may um so, okay, I'm looking at the calendar. The next time we record is the 23rd, then May 7th, and then, oops, and then May 21st is supposed to be a recording day, but I'm actually having a, a surgery that week before, and so we're going to release a side session yeah, on the 21st. I, I think we're going to release the one, the, I think one of the first ones we did was the Dice Man. Yeah. And I actually thought it was a yeah, regular episode. Because that one kind of fits in with the strange sessions because it it's about synchronicity and that it's almost like randonauting and all yeah. that stuff. Yep. And people seem to like the Dice Man episode. So we are going to release, it is not Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> yeah. and as much as I'd like to do an episode on Andrew Dice Clay, it is not Andrew Dice Clay. It's about a guy that wrote this book about this doctor, this psychologist that uses 
it's a novel, so I mean, it's not real, but he uses dice to determine his choices he makes in life, and there's people that actually do this. That's really cool. So, yeah, so we talk about that. So I think we're going to release that, but then Chris and I are probably going to like record a little special opening for that and banter for that. Yeah. Just, just so, so that you get there a is something extra. new because our li- our our coffee or Ko-Fi listeners have probably heard that one. Yeah, so, and it's shorter than our normal episodes, yeah, too. Yeah, so we're going to add to it, but we're going to release that after Krista has her surgery. And the surgery is nothing major. Nope. Nothing to worry about. No, she will, she will be 100% fine, but she might not be up to... Yeah, I'm not going to be down <laughs> recording to... ...recording the, early the next morning. No. <laughs> cool. Anything else? Weather? No. Uh, yeah, it's still... It's April, mid-April. Well, not quite mid-April. I guess it's April 9th, but it's still snowing here. Yeah, it's still snowing. <laughs> so... It was really icy when I got out of the car yeah. at Love's. I almost went down on my butt, which would have been great for my back. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> you didn't even think of that. <laughs> Bring the computer stuff there so we could record laying in the parking lot at the Love's I mean, truck we could stop. do that. Um, I did notice on my drive home from work yesterday as it was snowing that all of the farm fields have like a really short, light layer of green coming oh, up. And that so got me is, all giddy. I'm it like, is all right, spring. It is actually spring. <laughs> it's just still snowing. Yeah. Hopefully the kids next weekend won't be like having to bring snow shovels to find their Easter eggs. But yeah, you know it how it Wisconsin. is in Wisconsin. Yep. So We have a package. And oh, also we got... Uh, oh, but I'll wait till we talk about that for the taste test. Okay. Because Carl Carl sent us a bunch of snacks and stuff like that. Is that who sent this? Carl. Okay. Yep. But um, because I couldn't carry anything when I left home, all I brought, uh, I can't even remember. I always want to call it Giardia, but that's like some... Giardinera. Yeah. Giardia is like some disease or like... A yeah. That's like a, a medication or something oh, yeah. for something severe to moderate. Oh. <laughs> or I'm sorry, moderate to moderate severe. Moderate to severe. Okay. I'm opening this package. Yes. This... Somehow. It's on the side here. It's from Ashley Marie Baker. Yes. Okay. Ashley sent us this. I think we got it like two weeks ago. So Oops. Ashley, thank you for this. Krista is opening it right now. Somehow. With the ceremonial dagger sent in by Sophie and Adam. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I haven't grunted in a while. Ooh. Oh, she said there was a scarf in here. Does well, yeah, she want she, the cause... scarf back? Yeah, do you want, if you want the scarf back, let, let us, us know. know. Otherwise, it's in here just as like cushioning, I believe. Otherwise, we will wear it in our pictures next week. Ooh, it's a pretty scarf. It is a pretty scarf. Let us know if you want that back. If not, <laughs> it's actually really pretty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let us know if you want it back. If not, I'm pretty sure Krista's just calling dibs on it right now, actually. <laughs> I mean, unless Kurt's into it. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Oh, wow. There's like a whole... Oh, look at this. Okay, I got to take a picture of this. She like... There's a, a, a letter and it has a wax seal. Dang. Fancy. I take the worst pictures. I'm just going to be super honest about that. I have an iPhone 12 and you would think that this thing would take better pictures. I call operator error. <laughs> okay, do you want to open this? Break the seal. I'm excited to have a letter to add to our whiteboards over there. Okay, I'll wait until... Holy buckets, there is a lot here. Holy buckets. You don't need to read the whole thing. We can read it to ourselves afterwards. Because that's a lot. <laughs> Dramatic pause as Kurt reads the letter. There, A lot that she has here is like... Exper- like personal experience with ghosts so maybe oh, we save some save of that, that for yeah. a if she's okay with us yeah if you're okay with us saving show. that sa- save for a um wow that was squeaky <laughs> if you're Listener okay with us episode? saving yeah saving this for a listener stories episode cool this is a really sweet letter but i'm gonna read the first 
the first two paragraphs. Okay. Hello, Kurt and Krista. Hi. You're long stranger here. Yay. Hopefully this letter finds you all well and not too cold up there as spring slowly approaches. <laughs> we were just complaining about that, actually. I've been listening for a little over a year now, and I really appreciate all that you all do. There are a bunch of podcasts that I listen to, and yours, more than others, really feels like sitting down with friends and just chatting about paranormal stuff. I especially enjoy the taste tests. I am a baker by trade and considered sending some cookies, but I was unsure how well they travel. For future reference, what are y'all's favorite confections? And if, in theory, chocolate. what kind of cookies would you like to receive? I love a classic chocolate chip cookie, I'll be honest. And then she says, in lieu, in lieu of not being able to send cookies, I've sent some of my favorite comfort snacks. I don't think you've had them before. And if you have, if you have I apologize. First, the snack is matcha mochi. I think, Ooh. are those mochi or mochi? I, I don't know. It's, it, they're good. Like, I've had them. Not too sweet, but still very flavorful. I'll wait till you're done reading. For the drink the... is... <clears throat> yeah, there's a can Yeah, I think I might have had that. Milicus, a kind of milk slash yogurt soda. Hmm. It sounds odd, but it's surprisingly refreshing. Hopefully you find them enjoyable as I did. Consider sending more... I did consider sending more pickle-themed snacks. <laughs> anyway, I truly appreciate the two of you. Aw, we appreciate you. I... Aw. Okay, I'm going to read. I hope I don't know if she wants me to read this, but I'm going to read this because it's really sweet. Oh, right now? Okay. Yeah. She said, anyway, I truly appreciate the two of you. I've had a very lonely year from a long relationship ending and moving out to living alone for the first time, which at 28 feels a bit too old to experience. But here I am. No, I don't think I lived on my own until I was late 20s, maybe. Hmm. You know. I think my, everyone should, by the way, live by yes, themselves. To both my mother and uncle passing away from COVID in the oh, same month. I'm so sorry. It's been rough for me. I've never been good at reaching out and talking to people, but alongside a few others, the strange sessions has really helped me to stay grounded when all I want to do is break down. Thank you both. Oh, well, uh, again, yep. Uh, again, we're honored that we can be a yeah, light in the darkness. That, that's when we realize that what we do is important. Even it matters if we, to people. Even if we <laughs> choke about it not being important sometimes <laughs> on the show. Right. But thank you so much. And we're going to read the rest of your stuff in our, our listeners experience episode that sound right yeah listener stories yep cool all right i will open this i didn't want to make a bunch of noise it's very bold how are we gonna drink this drink i know you're oh, not do you want to grab a mug from behind you well, we'll we could drink our tea one. first and i could just put it in here well I get, that's a lot of tea to drink though no, it's not. Oh, we, I gotta, can chug that. we gotta set the camera up oh okay forget. setting the camera up you gotta move. i gotta move Oops. Yeah, if you guys were <laughs> listening to that, I did not have my microphone on during the taste test. I was using the other microphone, and I forgot to turn it on. So I'm going to try to... Stop messing with the wrapper. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can make it louder when I'm editing it, because I'm really, really quiet. But Like, if, really quiet. Yeah, if I can't, uh, we apologize. But we are going to go with uh, the tea that we tried was amazing. Yes. That was a 10 out of 10 from both of us. The Jardinera was a 15. The Jardinera was a 15 out of 10. that good. It was that good. Carl, that, yeah, that was my first... Yeah, you yourself, buddy. That was my first time ever having it, and I'm... That's if a great you, way to start. Yeah, if you guys subscribe to the, the coffee thing, you'll be able to see the video of us, yeah. and you'll be able to hear it, I think, a little better. Oh, yeah, the sound is good on but, the video. But um, my... You probably won't hear me on the microphone, but I did have a foodgasm because that was amazingly good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I couldn't stop eating it, actually. And that is Sasquatch sauce. Yep. 
Um, we'll maybe put a link to the put a link to it in the strangers. Yeah. That was amazing, Carl. Like I said, I'm sorry that I don't know if our taste test is going to work, but that it's, was yeah. His Facebook page is facebook.com slash sasquatch sauce, and Sasquatch is spelled with a K. Yeah, and it was so. But good. we'll put a link. Yeah, it's amazing. I can't wait to put it on our pizza. First tonight. time I've ever had it, and the. I know we, the first time we had it was a couple months ago, and we were yeah. both like, "How have we lived our lives without yeah. this?" The it's matcha so mochi. Or mochi. I can never remember which one it was. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Krista gave it a four. Gave Krista a four. did not like the texture. I gave it a ten because it's I thought squishy. it was I thought it was amazing. I've I like had the it. Color. I've had it I've had it before. So I thought I mean not this brand, but I've had mochi. It or tastes mochi. like squishy raw dough with a gel in the side. Oh, and I loved it. Ten <laughs> out of ten from me, four out of ten from Krista, and our our milkus. That was really good. Ten out of ten from me. I'm giving that an eight just because you know, you're, you're not a drink fan. No, although I've been drinking a lot of sparkling water lately, yeah. like flavored sparkling. So carbonation is growing on me, but it tastes. It reminded me of a cream soda, which yeah. I thought was really good. So sorry if we botched the taste test on this one. We didn't get to. It happens. It's been a while you... since we botched something, yeah. so it was time. <laughs> so right when we got done recording, I decided I should check my microphone. <laughs> not on. You know, but I'll see if I can fix it during rec- uh, editing, and if not, then. The only ones that will really see that are the coffee subscribers. So, sorry, guys. Unless this one time we post the video on the Facebook page. Yeah, maybe. But we can think about that. Yeah, we'll think about that. Okay. All right. I don't like posting stuff that our, our subscribers pay for I know. too often because I know, what are they paying for then? I know. But I just feel bad that we botched that. Anyway, this episode is another in our Strange State series. Yes. And this state is near and dear to my heart because I've been there and I absolutely love it. And we are going to talk about Arizona. Sweet. Carl Carl made a, a case to do Arizona. Oh. So, Carl, this one is for you. It's all about Carl. Oh, yeah. It's the Carl episode. It is the Carl episode. He is I've one never of our... been there, but I've had family. My dad's side of the family, people have lived there in the past and just yeah, loved it. 94, I think I went there. My buddy Tom that used to live here in town, him and his wife moved out there. Hmm. So in 94, I went out there and I was expecting to hate it because it's hot and mm-hmm. all that. And it's I, not humid no, though. No, it is not. I absolutely loved it. We, you know, he lived, I don't think he still lives in Tempe, but he lived in Tempe, which is like a suburb of Phoenix. They picked me up at the airport in Phoenix with a cooler of beer in the car. Nice. And uh, we went do. We went to some ghost towns. We went to the desert. We went shooting guns in the desert. We went boating in the mountains, which is really cool because there's snow. Oh, sure. You know, so it was just like amazing. Like I absolutely loved, loved, loved Arizona. And then when I left, I said I'd be there to see him again soon. And I have not been back yet. So I still need desperately to get back down there. But uh, Michelle, one of our, our good listeners, much loved listeners, lives out there too. And I just love the state. Just love it. Um, So Arizona fun facts. I got six. Okay. I couldn't figure out which one to take out, so I didn't take any of them out. So we're going to have six facts. First fact, Florida is the sunshine state, but actually Florida comes in fifth in the amount of sun. Arizona is number one. Yuma, Arizona is sunny 90% of the time, wow. and Phoenix and Tucson both tie at 85% of the time. Wow. You know, but then I want to... seems like a different world. I know. I haven't seen the sun in days. (laughs) It's just been like raining and dreary here for days. Yeah. But people said, yeah, I mean, uh, it's sunny 90% of the time, but you can't do anything outside because it's so damn hot. Mm. 
you know, so that kind of But defeats, they have a lot of swimming pools in yeah, Arizona. But I mean, it still defeats the purpose of like getting outside sure. to do stuff because it's like 115 degrees. At least you can still see the sun though. Yeah, that's true. I'm all paranoid. My mic's not on. It's on. It's You're on. good. Okay. <laughs> so it is the sunniest state in the country. Fun fact number five, which I already knew, which I think is cool, is that Arizona has the original London Bridge. What? Yep. Yeah. Okay. One of the more bizarre stories to come out of Arizona is the tale of Robert McCulloch Sr., who founded the city of Lake Havasu. The London Bridge just happened to be sinking, and it was beginning to become a safety issue. So when he was founding Lake Havasu City, he decided to buy the whole bridge. So they moved the entire bridge, lamps and all, and had it shipped to Arizona. The bridge was taken apart there piece by piece and then reconstructed, and to this day, it's the biggest tourist attraction in the surrounding area. So why Arizona? The guy that founded Lake Havasu just wanted it because they were <laughs> they were going to destroy the London Bridge, the okay. original London Bridge anyway, and he's mm-hmm. like, I'll just buy it. Okay. So if you go to Lake Havasu, the, one of the bridges there that spans a river is the actual London Bridge. So that whole saying, hey, I got a bridge I can sell you, is, is, sometimes is, true. Sometimes is true. Okay. But yeah, I've I've known that because of a armchair treasure hunt thing oh, that okay. that you know something was hidden on London Bridge, but it turns out it's actually in Arizona. Hmm. You know. Okay. So I just think well, that's now a, I do know. Super interesting. It is. And you know, I always have to do something foodie during our state stuff. So Arizona was the state with the first McDonald's drive-through. Really? Yeah. Back in 1975, you had to go into McDonald's to get food. I mean, drive-throughs haven't huh. been around forever. So at the time, still, uh, I'm not. I can't remember. That's interesting. That's so. For my whole life, we've had drive-throughs because I was yeah. born in '76. Yep. Okay. Yep. So back in 1975, you had to go into McDonald's to get food. At the time, soldiers stationed at the nearby military base Fort Huacha, Huachua, were not allowed to appear in public at any time in their uniform. So as they headed in and out of their base in their uniforms, they drove past the nearby McDonald's, but they couldn't run in to get food because they were in their uniforms. Oh. So that franchise owner decided to put in a drive-through, and on January twenty fourth, nineteen seventy five, the world's first McDonald's drive-through opened. So other drive-throughs must have existed at the they time. They probably did, but okay. McDonald's did not have one at the time. Why couldn't they go out in public in their uniform? It was just a thing. It was just like one of their laws, you okay. know, for the the military base was that you could not appear in Weird. public in your uniform. It's odd to me. But I mean, that makes sense that if they wanted like a Big Mac, they could just run in and get it. <laughs> right. if they had their uniform on, and they had. A, I did read that some people brought a change of clothes just in case. They wanted oh to change God. to go into McDonald's. Wow. But the and guy. They'd have to do it in their car, dirty dancing style. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> okay. yeah. So they decided the franchise owner there said, I'm just going to put in a drive through and it was a McDonald's, the first drive through McDonald's. Okay. And now they all have them. Way to go, Arizona. Also, a little bonus fact uh, Arizona is the home to the only McDonald's in the world that has turquoise arches. Oh, Instead really? of red, because Sedona. I'm, I'm Sed- delightfully shocked by all of these facts. Well, the the, the, the original the original like McDonald's logo is like a red background with like a yellow yellow, yellow M. Mm-hmm. But Sedona officials thought that yellow clashed with the area's natural red rock, so they made a turquoise. And turquoise is very common yeah. in Arizona. Yeah. So okay. they made a turquoise. That's the only one in the world that like has the stone that has okay. different arch colors. It's turquoise. Yep. Hmm. Next fun fact, and this I think is so cool. According to the kickassfacts.com site, Arizona is home to several chapters of the BACA Motorcycle Club or Biker Gang. The BACA stands for Bikers Against Child Abuse. 
This motorcycle gang helps keep victims of child abuse safe while the child's abuser is prosecuted, including guarding the child's house at night if the abuser is not yet in jail and attending court with the child, shielding them so they don't have to see their abuser. I've heard of this. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. I don't know if other states have that, but there's a lot of chapters of that around Arizona, and I think Mm. that's so cool. It is cool. Uh, So kudos to them for doing that because that is amazing. And of course, laws... Goofy laws. In Arizona, it is against the law for donkeys to sleep in bathtubs. <laughs> <laughs> was this such a problem that they had Apparently, to make a that law? was a huge problem, okay. letting a donkey sleep in a bathtub. All right. <laughs> in Arizona, any misdemeanors committed while wearing a red mask are considered a felony. Ooh. So, no idea. And I don't know if it's Mojave or Mojave. Mojave. It's M O H A V. So, that might be. Is oh, it, that's I don't still know. Mojave? I don't know. I'm just going to say Mojave. In Mojave County, if you are caught stealing soap, you must publicly wash yourself until the soap has been completely used up. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming you don't have to be naked. I hope not. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to stop you from stealing soap, I guess. I, that'd be really awkward with a bar of soap because that, that would take a really what, long time. That's what people said when they were commenting on that. Like a, a, like a bottle size, would be different. I'd just dump the whole yeah, thing out. Yeah, but a king-sized bar of soap. Oh, man. You'd be there for days. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be, be clean. Super squeaky clean. You'd have prune hands for sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's... Uh, so don't steal soap in Mojave Yeah, County. don't do that. And lastly, this one actually makes sense. In Arizona, it is illegal to refuse someone a glass of water if they ask for one. Well, it's hot it's so there. Hot there. Yeah. But if somebody just comes up and asks you for a glass of water and you don't legally, give them one, you have to give them yep. a glass of water. Yep. So mm. those are the weird laws. And finally, fun fact number one: there is an actual law in Arizona called the quote "stupid motorist law" <laughs> that allows the state to find drivers for their rescue if they drive around barricades or signs and get stuck in flooded roadways. Mm, I like it. So that is the stupid motorist law. Makes sense. Which I love. Yeah. So there are some fun facts about Arizona. I love Arizona. And now onto our Arizona cryptids. We got a couple bonus ones because these first two don't really exist, we think. But this first one of the bonus ones I had to put in here because I absolutely love it. And it is the Cactus Cat. This comes from a fansided.com article called Call of the Cryptid, the Cactus Cat of the American Southwest. It says, quote, William Thomas Cox wrote of this creature in 1910. And we've talked about this book in other things. In his book, Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts. <laughs> I think that's where we talked about the rock slide. Remember the thing that, the whale-like oh, thing yeah. at the top of the mountain that yeah. would slide down and eat everything and then yeah. slide back up the mountain? <laughs> so this is from the same book. Yeah, that thing can't be real. <laughs> no, neither is this, but I think it's cool. The cactus cat is a lion-like creature with spines and a spiked tail that it uses to slash open cacti. After slashing one open, it will leave for a few days and then return. By the time it comes back, the sap of the cactus has fermented into a kind of tequila, sweet and very intoxicating. This is greedily lapped up by the thirsty beast, which soon becomes completely drunk and then goes waltzing off into the moonlight, screaming with delight. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds made up. (laughs) Sounds like a Wisconsin thing. (laughs) From Wikipedia, it says then, quote, the then drunken creature was said to howl throughout the night. The cactus cat was a very hostile creature towards any animal in its territory. Animals that crossed them often ended up with large puncture wounds and sometimes fatal injuries. It was a desert predator. To avoid the harsh heat, they'd carve out the inside of a cactus and sleep inside of it throughout the day. It would eat the bugs and drink the juice of the cactus, keeping it hydrated. They were said to be immune to scorpion venom and would hunt scorpions at night. 
Cactus cats were social animals often mating for life. They were said to live about 20 to 30 years. Before and during mating season, the male felines would break open a large cigar cactus and let the smell attract females to the location. Often enough, two females would be attracted to the scent and they would fight. The fight usually ended in one of them getting brutally spiked or stabbed to death. The winning female would then meet with the male and they would both drink the cactus juice. The pair would get drunk and then produce a litter of kittens within the next few weeks. Wow. So that is the cactus cat. Okay. Don't think it's real. I don't think so either. But it's cute uh, though. There's a couple other ones. There's the, is it the stick lizard? It's a, like a lizard that, because the sand is too hot, it's learned to use sticks like, <laughs> yeah, what, are, what are those like called? stilts? Like stilts. It uses sticks like stilts. So you see it going across and there's also the- I want to see that. Was it the Arizona carp or something like that? A fish that supposedly lives in the in the sand. Okay. And there's a special, <laughs> there was something like there's a special worm that you put on the end of your fishing rod and you send it out into the sand and then the worm burrows down and when it finds it, it comes back up and then it whistles to you. So just something <laughs> wow. something weird like that. So they have like these weird... And that's how you catch the carp? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, okay. <laughs> so they have some of these weird made up ones. But that is the cactus cat. Next is okay. the jackalope. And this comes from a ryeheat.com article called... Some not-so-natural critters of Arizona. Jackalopes, stick lizards, and sand trout. That's what it is. Stick lizards are the ones and sand trout. The article says, quote, The jackalope is a hybrid between jackrabbits and antelopes or deer. This critter, which has long been in folklore, was made famous famous in a (laughs) poet. Sorry. (laughs) Was made famous in a postcard devised by photographer Bob Petley. Jackalopes are said to be fierce creatures, which use their antlers to fight off animals. They are also whimsical. Jackalopes possess an uncanny ability to mimic human sounds. In the Old West, when cowboys would gather by their campfires to sing at night, jackalopes would frequently be heard singing back, mimicking the voices of the cowboys. Jackalopes became especially vocal before thunderstorms, perhaps because they mate only when lightning flashes, or so it is theorized. Hmm. That's very specific. Hmm. When chased, the jackalope will use its vocal abilities to elude capture. For instance, when chased by people, it will often call out phrases such as, there he goes over there, in order to throw pursuers <laughs> off its track. The best, <laughs> way to ca- the best way to catch a jackalope is to lure it with whiskey, as they have a particular fondness for this drink. Once intoxicated, the animal becomes slower and easier to hunt. Animals in Arizona have a drinking problem. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't Wisconsin? I'm pretty sure this isn't Wisconsin. <laughs> okay. Jackalope milk is particularly sought after because it's believed to be a powerful aphrodisiac. Uh, for which reason the jackalope is also sometimes referred to as the horny rabbit. However, it can be incredibly dangerous to milk a jackalope, and any attempts to do so is not advised. A peculiar feature of the milk is that it comes from the animal already homogenized on account of the creatures jumping up and down constantly. Jackalope-like animals were reported in Europe as early as the 16th century. This was probably due to the occurrence of rabbits with antler-like tumors on their heads, the result of papillomavirus infections. Papillomavirus infections. Hmm. Even Buddha mentioned horned rabbits. So there you go. Was the Red Green show like a local? No, it's like a Canadian thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was like that was Canadian, but uh, everybody thinks it's very Wisconsin. Totally. Uh, yeah. I remember there was definitely a jackalope on the Red Green show. Yep. I only seen it. A I couple like the times. jackalope. My dad like used to love that show, so it was on a lot when I was a kid. I like the jackalope too. He sounds adorable. So now... Uh, a rabbit with horns. One That's of these funny. upcoming, I don't think is an actual thing, but people have claimed they've seen it, so we'll go there. 
the first one I have that uh, in the actual cryptid thing is Thunderbirds. Oh, I've heard of this. Yep, and this is a giant bird Isn't or this a, a Native pterodactyl. American yeah, like thing? a pterodactyl okay. type creature. Uh, I I took a lot in this episode out of websites and stuff. So because I think they that. like Native Americans use Thunderbirds and like a lot of their yeah. imagery, totem poles, things yep. like that. Okay. Yep. So this comes from the Weird U.S. site article called, quote, The Arizona Thunderbird. It says, One of the great mysteries of modern times has its roots in Arizona. This mystery involves a photograph of a so-called Thunderbird, a mysterious creature that was said to have been captured near the town of Tombstone. The story goes that two cowboys sighted an enormous flying creature in the Arizona desert in April of 1890. The beast had the body of a serpent, immense wings, two clawed feet, and the face of an alligator. The men got as close as their skittish horses would allow and then chased the bird on foot. It took off and landed a few times, and the cowboys opened fire with rifles and killed the monster. The enormous wingspan of the creature was said to have been 160 feet long, and the Dang. body was more than 92 feet long. Wow. It was smooth and featherless, more like a bat than a bird. The cowboys cut off a piece of its wing and brought it with them into Tombstone, Arizona. Or at least this, that's the story that was allegedly told in an April 1892 issue of the Tombstone newspaper, The Epitaph. And the fact that it was an April... Yep, that's what I'm picturing. Yep, okay. The fact that it was an April newspaper makes me think huh. might have been a hoax. Yeah, yep. There's tons of pictures. There's tons of supposed pictures of people posing with what... It, there's one, like, it's going to be in the teaser picture of a bunch of, like, hunter-looking guys posing with this giant like bat-looking thing. It. Yeah. Okay. But the in the April 1892 issue of the Tombstone newspaper, The Epitaph, this was the only mention of the story, and it gave all the appearances of the ta- tall tales that were often written in the Western newspapers of the time. What makes this story different, though, is that it has given rise to an odd modern legend. The story was revived in 1930 in the book On the Old West Coast by Horace Bell, and then 33 years later, a writer named Jack Pearl mentioned the story in the sensationalistic men's magazine Saga. Not only did he tell the story, though, he went one step further and claimed that the tombstone epitaph had in 1886, quote, published a photograph of a huge bird nailed to a wall. The newspaper said that it had been shot by two prospectors and hauled into town by wagon. Lined up in front of this bird were said to be six grown men with their arms outstretched fingertip to fingertip. This creature measured about 36 feet long from wingtip to wingtip. Then, in the September 1963 issue of the magazine Fate, a writer named H.M. Cranmer would state that not only was a story true, but that the photo was published and had appeared in newspapers all over America. And Cranmer would not be the only one who remembered the photo. Eminent 14 Times researcher Ivan Sanderson also remembered seeing the photo and in fact claimed to have once had a photocopy of it that he loaned to two people who lost it. The editors of Fate even came to believe that they may have published the photo in an earlier issue, but a search through back issues failed to reveal it. Meanwhile, the original epitaph story, which mentions no photograph, was revived in a 1969 issue of Old West, further confusing the issue as to whether the photo was real or not. Hmm. The epitaph, however, stated that it did not exist, or if it did, it had not been in their newspaper. Responding to numerous inquiries, employees of the paper started a thorough search of back issues and files. They could not find the photo. Even an extended search of other Arizona and California newspapers of the time produced no results. So is the photo real? If not, then why do so many people remember seeing it? 
Who knows? Just recently in the late 1990s, author John Keel insisted, quote, I know I saw it. And not only that, I compared notes with a lot of other people who saw it, he said. Is this like a Mandela effect? That's exactly what this sounds like. Like many of us, Keel believes that he saw it in one of those men's magazines like Saga or True that were so popular in the 1960s. Most of these magazines dealt with amazing subject matter like Bigfoot and ghosts. Keel also remembers the photo in the same way that most of us do, with men wearing cowboy clothing and the bird looking like a pterodactyl or some prehistoric winged creature. Interestingly, Keel's writings prompted a memory from W. Ritchie Benedict, who recalled seeing Ivan Sanderson display the photo on a Canadian television show. Unfortunately, no copies of this show have ever been found. It sounds like a Mandela (laughs) factory. All these people say that they saw this photo that doesn't exist, apparently. Hmm. During the 1990s, the search for the Thunderbird photo reached a point of obsession for those interested in the subject. A discussion of the matter stretched over several issues of Strange Magazine, and readers who said that they saw the photo cited sources like old books, Western photograph collections, men's magazines, and beyond. As for myself, I combed through literally hundreds of issues of dusty copies of True and Saga and found nothing. So how do we explain this weird phenomenon of a photograph that so many people remember seeing and yet no one can seem to find? Author, Mike, author Mark Hall believes that the description of the photo creates such a vivid image in the mind that many people who have a knowledge and an interest in curious things begin to think the photo is familiar. It literally then creates a shared memory of something that does not exist. We think we have seen it, but we actually have that's not. That's plausible. Which is the Mandela effect, yeah. you know? And that's totally plausible. It is. I mean, that's one of the theories. I can the picture what you're describing, and I'm certain I've never seen the photo. Yeah. Yep. So... Yeah, and that's it's that's one of the theories about the Mandela effect is that you just hear this so often, you picture it in your head, and you become convinced that New Zealand moved or this James Bond movie I had this scene. I remember Jiffy Peanut Butter. <laughs> I know you remember <laughs> Jiffy Peanut Butter. And I remember the guy in James Bond. I remember Jaws falling for the young girl, girl with, with braces. braces that she does not have anymore. So, so totally. But that's a Thunderbird, and there are still sightings to this day of this giant bird-like creature. You know, so that that is like one of the big ones in Arizona is the Thunderbird. Hmm. The next one, the goat sucker himself, the Chupacabra. All right. This also comes from Weird U.S. Tales of the Chupacabra originated in Puerto Rico, but quickly spread throughout Latin America and up through Mexico, leading some to believe that Chupi is on the move. Chupi. In recent years, reports have started coming in from even the southwestern United States, mostly Arizona. One of the first reports came from a Tucson resident named Billy Nubian, who together with his partner was woken up in the middle of the night by the panicked bleats of the couple's two goats. When the man ran outside to see what was happening, he saw what he described as a large rat-like creature in the goat pen pinning one of the animals to the ground. Nubian said that when the beast noticed him, it turned to face him and let out an inhuman shriek before disappearing into the dark. Creepy. Yeah. A few years later, in 2003, another Tucson resident reported a similar experience. The girl, who wished to only be identified only as Sarah A., recalled a, quote, half-man, half-ape-looking thing squatting in her front yard. As she walked outside towards her mother's... Half-ape? Yeah. Hmm. Half-man, half-ape. As she walked outside towards her mother's car... She and the creature noticed each other and startled one another. Crouching frog style, the beast leapt towards her, made a hissing noise, and ran away. According to the girl's description, the frightening creature had big piercing eyes, large hind legs, and an arched back covered in spines. I've never heard it described that way. No, I haven't either. It's more of a dog Like a wolf-looking thing, yeah. Yeah. Stories of the beast, when compared to those of other elusive creatures, 
like Bigfoot, are rather new, dating back no further than the 1950s or 60s, which has led many people to believe that the chupacabra is nothing more than a regional superstition. But if that's all it is, that leaves little explanation for the thousands of mutilated blood-drained animals that continue to be discovered in the areas it's said to inhabit. The victims, mostly goats, cattle, and chickens, are discovered after having been attacked sometime in the night. The animals are found emptied of blood with peculiar, well-defined puncture wounds in either the neck or the hindquarters, though with no evidence of external bleeding. On occasion, these chupacabra casualties suffer from other unusual injuries, such as having their anus cored out. Yikes. But again, with no blood pouring from the wound. That's horrifying. Yeah. I've been there after Taco Bell a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) These disturbing crime scenes also commonly lack any tracks, as one would expect from a normal animal attack. But this absence of footprints may support yet another unusual feature assigned to the chupacabra. Some say that the beast can fly. Though not very common, various witnesses report seeing Chupi bear his leathery wings. A few even claim to have seen the bloodsucker take to the air, as did one Arizonan who told us he spotted something about the size of a small ape cross his path along Interstate 19 on his way from Phoenix to Nogales. Somewhere near the border, the creature, which bore all resemblance to the chupacabra, flew into his headlights and then upward into the night sky. It flew? Yeah. Now it so, flies. Yeah, so apparently some chupacabras can fly. Wow. Uh, I didn't talk a whole lot about that because I think the chupacabra is going to be a... A topic. A topic all its own, a mini mm-hmm. mystery at least all its own because people are fascinated by the chupacabra. But that is chupacabra. Another one, and this one is kind of a, a twofer, is the a creature called the Aswang, A-S-W-A-N-G, Aswang. Okay. That's said to... I'm trying in, not to giggle. That is said to inhabit the Apache Death Cave. Not high in places. That doesn't sound like a place. No, not a place I want to tour. Apache Death Cave. In 1878, a group of Apache raiders attacked a Navajo encampment near the Little Colorado River in Arizona. Almost every Navajo man, woman, and child was killed in the raid. When the Apache finished looting the encampment, only three girls remained, and they were swiftly taken prisoner by the Apache. When the Navajo leaders got word of this attack, they sent out a team of 25 men to avenge the fallen encampment. These men tracked the Apache across the land and blocked the borders into the region. However, their efforts failed and the trail went cold, disappearing into the river and volcanic cinder. News arrived that another nearby Navajo encampment had been raided, which meant that the Apache were somehow still in the area. Scouts were deployed again, two of whom were sent to check the short arm of Diablo Canyon. The scouts had found nothing until they were startled by a blast of hot air from underground. Upon further investigation, the scouts discovered that the hot air was coming from an Apache campfire in an underground cavern beneath them, large enough to house both the Apache raiding party and the horses. The scouts returned with news of the discovery, and the Navajo came back with a vengeance. After killing two watchmen, they gathered up the dry sagebrush and driftwood on the canyon floor and started a fire at the entrance of the cave. Now aware of the attack as smoke billowed into their hideaway, the Apache slit the throats of their horses and used the horses' bodies to seal off the entrance and use what was left of their water to put out the flames. A lone Apache man escaped from the fiery barrier and begged for mercy. The Navajo proposed the customary payment of goods and stock in exchange for forgiveness, and the Apache man agreed. However, when the Navajo asked about the three girls who had been captured, the Apache spokesman hesitated, confirming the Navajo's worst fears. The girls had already met their end. Enraged, the Navajo went into the cave and added more fuel to the fire. Smoke and the sound of the Apache singing death songs filled the air. When the songs faded and the smoke cleared, 
the Navajo broke through the charred barrier of the horse corpses. They retrieved their goods and stripped off the valuables of the 42 Apaches who had suffocated inside of the cave. From that point on, it's said that no Apache has ever used that cave for any reason. Local tribes warned would-be pioneers about the cave, saying that the land around it was cursed, but settlers often passed off the stories as silly superstition. The pioneers who lived there would later report hearing disembodied groans and ghostly footsteps outside their cabins, and to this day, people report mysterious shadows lurking around the area and say that they sometimes hear the soft murmuring of the Apache death songs being sung. Wow. Yep. That's a story. And inside the Apache death cave is to believed to be a creature called an Aswang, A-S-W-A-N-G. Okay. According to an article on DGO Magazine called, quote, Bigfoot, the Slide Rock, Bolter, and Chupacabra, oh my, the article says the Aswang, a vampiric cryptid known for its shape-shifting abilities, was first discovered in the Philippines hundreds of years ago. The Aswang does not sound like a creature you'd want to run into in a dark alley or even a very well-lit alley. <laughs> This creature has long, sharp claws, smells like rotting meat, makes rattlesnake-like noises, and has an affinity for eating small children and sucking fetuses out of its prey. Oh my god. Because Aswang are shapeshifters, they can be difficult to identify. According to legend, by day they would live amongst people, then by night shapeshift into various animals. On various occasions, pregnant cows near Two Guns, Arizona, have been discovered dead. Their fetus calves nowhere to be found. Skinwalker? It sounds like a skinwalker. Yeah. According to the Culture Trip website, in an article called Aswang, the Terrifying Vampire Ghouls of the Philippines, it says, if you look directly into a person's eyes and your reflection is upside down, then you've just met an Aswang, according to paranormal experts. Because Aswangs disguise themselves as humans and animals, no one is really prepared for them. But That's to creepy. But to avoid becoming prey, there are telltale signs that reveal when these beasts are on the hunt. When you hear a, quote, tick-tick-ticking noise come from the darkness, that means an Aswang has taken its tick-tick form, signaling that it's ready to eat. The softer the noise, the closer the creature is to you. That's creepy. Very. Aswangs usually land on a victim's roof, waiting to stretch their long, dripping tongues to get a taste of human prey. In most cases, they pay a visit to every pregnant woman in town hoping to feed on their unborn children. Pregnant women, it said, emit a distinct smell that attracts Aswangs, which has historically been used to explain miscarriages or stillbirths in rural parts of the Philippines. After feeding, Aswangs often replace their victims with doppelgangers made from tree trunks or other plant material. People are then blissfully unaware that these beasts are on a killing spree because the victim is still there, Hmm. except it's a doppelganger. Another reason why Filipinos fear Aswangs are because of their ability to pass on their magical powers to someone else. It's a common belief that if an Aswang holds its mouth close to another person's mouth, they too will eventually become one of them. To protect themselves from Aswangs, some Filipinos keep a stingray's tail to dispel their presence, and salt, garlic, and ginger are said to be effective when it comes to warding off these terrifying creatures. Wow. Don't want to meet one of those. No, no. Definitely creepy. Totally sounds like a skinwalker. Yep. And this is one that I I hesitated putting in here because I don't think it's a cryptid. I don't think it's a real thing, but it's a fascinating story anyway. This one is The Red Ghost. A 1961 article in American Heritage Magazine called The Red Ghost says, quote, One morning in the spring of 1883, two women were alone with their children in a small adobe house on Eagle Creek in the southeastern corner of the Arizona Territory. The men of the family had gone out early to determine how many of the sheep had been slaughtered or driven off by Geronimo and his Apaches in the latest raid through the area. 
Being left alone at such a time meant a certain danger for the women, since Geronimo might take it into his head to return that way, but to such dangers they had long since been used to. At some time during the forenoon, one of the women left the house to bring water from the spring several yards away in a thicket of willows. A few minutes after she went out, the house dog began to bark and brought the other woman to the window. All she was ever able to report about what she saw was that it was red, enormous, and ridden by a devil. She heard screams, but was too terrified to think of even doing anything, so instead she barricaded the door and spent the day in hysterical prayer. When the men returned that night and heard her story, they lit torches and went to investigate the spring, where they found the body of the second woman near the water, trampled almost flat. In the mud were the prints of hoofs, cloven, and twice the size of a horse's. Clinging to some of the willows were long red hairs. A few days later, two prospectors washing for gold on Chase's Creek, a tributary of the Rio San Francisco, several miles northeast of Eagle Creek, were awakened in the middle of the night when their tent came smashing down on their heads. They heard, as they told it, a loud scream and the sound of pounding hoofs, and saw what seemed to them to be an impossibly tall horse with a mysterious figure riding on it crash off into the brush. When they told their tale at the mining camp of Orr, Several miners returned to the scene with them. Along the bed of the creek, they found the prints of huge hoofs, and through the brush leading off uphill, a trail that had been broken by an obviously large animal. A few long red hairs clung to some of the bushes. Although half a dozen miners corroborated these discoveries, which clearly coincided in details with the occurrence at the sheep ranch, the general reaction to the story was a skeptical grin. One devotee of this game claimed that he had chased the beast and that it had eluded him by vanishing into thin air. Another reported that he had watched the beast kill and devour a grizzly bear. Well, a month or so later, another rancher got a fairly good look at the beast from about half a mile away and recognized it as a camel. He couldn't make out the figure on the camel's back, though, because the creature made its way quickly into the brush. A few weeks later after that, the red ghost turned up near the valley of the Verde River about 60 miles west of Hamblin's ranch, and the scoffing ceased. This time, a party of five prospectors sighted the animal feeding on a mesa, managed to get within what they considered shooting distance, and fired. They either missed completely or merely grazed the animal, and it rapidly loped off out of range. As it departed, though, something fell from its back. The prospectors investigated and found, as the Mojave County miner described it, quote, a human skull with a few shreds of flesh and hair still clinging to it. For the next several years, dozens of people spied the creature, who by this time had been dubbed the Red Ghost, carrying its headless rider. So, headless somebody, horseman? No, somebody died. Somebody was on the back of this camel when it, they died, and the camel was running around out in Arizona with the skeleton, with the dead body of this person on Poor the back. camel. Finally, in 1893, an Arizona farmer found the Red Camel grazing in his garden. He got a shotgun and killed the beast. By this time, That's the rude. De- by this by this time the dead rider had completely fallen off, but the saddle and leather straps with which the corpse had been attached were still on, having scarred the camel because they were on so tight. Aww. The Red Ghost has become a major Arizona legend, with some high school football teams calling themselves the Red Ghosts, and to this day there are still reports of people seeing ghostly camels with skeleton riders. Hmm. So I just thought that was a really interesting story. Yeah, that, I've never heard I, that one before. Yeah, and there's a lot of debate whether it actually happened or it actually didn't happen because at that time, camels were in Arizona. Like some people used camels to, to haul, hmm. like they're, they're, like miners would use camels to haul stuff. So it's very possible, but then it's like, why, how, why did this guy die on the back of the camel? Yeah. You know, they theorize that maybe this guy was shot and just died upright and that the camel was running around with his skeleton of this guy on its back. I know, poor camel. He didn't do anything wrong. No. 
And the number one cryptid of Arizona is the Mojian monster or the Arizona Bigfoot. Yes. Although it's not very Bigfooty, I don't think. I don't know. Like it's a small foot? I don't think it's a small foot. The Mojian monster is Arizona's version of Bigfoot. It supposedly lives, as you might have guessed, along the Mojian... I always don't know how to pronounce this because it's M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, so I always want to say Mogollon, but it's Mojian. Okay. Along the Mojian Rim, although it has allegedly been spotted around Prescott and in the Grand Canyon. According to an October 24th, 2017 article in the Williams Grand Canyon News called, quote, Searching for the Mojian Monster, the first recorded sighting of the beast came in 1903 when I.W. Stevens told the Williams News that, quote, I saw a man with long white hair and a matted beard that reached to his knees. He wore no clothing, and upon his talon-like figures were claws at least two inches long. A coat of gray hair covered nearly his whole body, with here and there a patch of dirty skin showing. Yuck. Stevens goes on to describe the creature's face, which he called a horror, noting that it was seared and burned brown by the sun with fiery green eyes. Stevens reported that he was charged by the beast who wielded a large club and was ready to fire at it when it stopped short of mauling him, distracted by a mountain lion on a ledge above. Stevens said he shot the mountain lion, leaving behind two cubs, a jerk, but the strange creature had run away as he fired. As Stevens retreated and made his way back to his boat, he said that the creature had returned and was making a meal out of all three mountain lions. When Stevens yelled at the creature from the safety of his boat, he said that it fled up the rock ledges, but not before, quote, it flourished his club again and screamed the wildest, most unearthly screech I had ever heard. Still, Stevens' ordeal isn't an isolated event. Others have reported seeing a strange creature resembling Stevens' original report over the years, although the details began to vary. The reported sightings have mostly occurred in the mountainous Mojian Rim region of northern Arizona, hence the name, but sightings have been reported as far away as Clifton, Arizona. Don Davis, who believes he encountered the monster on a Boy Scout camping trip around 1944 near Payson, Arizona, studied sightings and tales of terrifying creatures of all varieties. Known as a cryptozoologist, a person who evaluates scientific evidence for mythical creatures such as Bigfoot, Davis recounted his tale, saying, quote, The creature was huge. Its eyes were deep-set and hard to see, but they seemed expressionless. His face seemed pretty much devoid of hair, but there seemed to be hair along the sides of his face. His chest, shoulders, and arms were massive, especially the upper arms, easily upwards of six inches in diameter, perhaps much, much more. I could see he was pretty hairy, but didn't observe really how thick the body hair was. The face or head was very square, square sides and a squared up chin like a box. That's weird. Of course, these sightings are decades old before the power of the internet placed evidence for or against the existence of such creatures in the hands of the average Joe, no hiking boots or camping experience necessary. But even as late as 2014, the Mojian monster is still being reported. A sociology student reported to Cryptozoology News, so take it with a grain of salt, it's the internet, that she was hiking the Canyon Point Trail near Payson when she saw what was described as, quote, a troll-like looking creature drinking from a pool of water. The student said that the creature was human looking, no hair on it, but full of bumps. The eyes were kind of a brown red, thick big nose and small lips, no expression on its face at all. It then took off running like a person. The Mojian monster is described across many accounts as either large or human-sized, having green or red eyes, covered in white, gray, or black-brown hair. Its origins are unknown, although visitors, residents, and researchers seem to agree something slightly inhuman may be wandering amongst the, amongst the ponderosa pines of northern Arizona. 
And according to Wikipedia, the Mojian monster is commonly described as a large bipedal creature over seven feet tall with large red eyes. Its body is said to be covered with long black or reddish brown hair with the exclusion of the chest, face, hands, and feet. Reports claim that it has a strong and pungent odor described as that of a, quote, dead fish, a skunk with bad body odor, or decaying peat. Skunk with bad body odor would Mm -hmm. be rough. Anecdotal reports indicate that the creature is allegedly nocturnal, omnivorous, territorial, and sometimes violent. It is generally reported to walk with wide, inhuman strides, leaving behind footprints measuring 22 inches long, and it can mimic birds, coyotes, and other wildlife. It can emit unusual whistling sounds and explores campsites after dark, builds nests out of pine needles. That sounds like a lot like a Bigfoot. A lot of it does, yeah. yeah. builds nests out of pine needles, twigs, and leaves, and this is a big one, hurls stones from locations that are hidden from view. The creature has also been said to decapitate deer and other wildlife prior to consumption. In numerous reports, however, the monster has been said to emit a blood-curdling scream described as sounding like that of a woman in great distress. Accounts of the creature describe an eerie silence prior to the encounter, a stillness in the woods that commonly surrounds predatory animals. And that's one that we've talked about a lot lately is Mm -hmm. the woods going completely quiet. Yeah. You know. Majorie Grimes, a White River, Arizona resident, claims to have sighted the creature a number of times between 1982 and 2004. She described the creature as hairy, tall. Is it Marjorie? Marjorie. Oh, you said Majorie. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. Yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Marjorie. Marjorie Grimes, a White River, Arizona resident, claims to have sighted the creature a number of times between 1982 and 2004. She described the creature as hairy, tall, and walking in big strides. And that is Marjorie Grimes, not Majorie Grimes. (laughs) A number of people on the Fort Apache Indian Reservation also claim to have seen this creature. The Mojian monster has become an object of Arizona folklore. One such story involves Arizona pioneer Sam Spade building a log cabin on his land adjacent to what is now Camp Geronimo, only to be attacked by the creature. Later, his son Bill Spade and his soon-to-be wife are killed by the creature on their wedding day. Oh, come on. Bummer. Other stories explain the origins of the Mojian monster implicating a tormented Native American bent on revenge or a chief transforming to scare away his former clan. Another story involves a pioneer who is attacked by Native Americans, escapes, but is cursed by the spirits and goes insane. Still another origin story describes the creature as a phantom of a white man who, as punishment for murdering a Native American woman, was hung from a tree by his hands and then stretched to a height of eight feet, then skinned alive and left to die. Well then. Damned by the spirits, his ghost continues to roam the woods. Professor of Biology Stan Lindstedt of Northern Arizona University, however, dismisses the idea that the large humanoid creature would remain hidden in such a large area of the country. He says, quote, I put that in the category of mythology that can certainly make our culture interesting, but has nothing to do with science. So, so when you, you were first describing it, I was like, this does not line up with Bigfoot. No, but then some of the stuff does, but it Towards almost sounds more end. like a feral. It almost sounds more like a feral, feral man, man when they first talk about because the description wasn't right. He usually has a conical head, not a square head. The yeah. size seems right, but the and behaviors I mean, in the beginning didn't sound right. That's the thing, is right. that like feral, like, I don't want to say feral, but like mountain man. Like a man, wild, like a mountain, wild man, mountain man. Yeah. Like these people exist that don't trim their beards and, mm-hmm. you know, and do that stuff. So at first it does sound a lot like a, a feral man or... But the a, behaviors on the second half. But the, yeah, the last behaviors, like stones, the throwing the stones, yeah. like the, the whistling sounds and like these... Yep. And the stillness Screaming and stuff even. sounds a lot like a Bigfoot. Yeah. 
So I knew you would like that. I knew you would of course. L- latch on to the Bigfoot stuff. <laughs> so those are some cryptids of Arizona. There were others, but those were the ones I picked. Now on to haunted locations. Uh, the first one I have down is the Birdcage Theater in Tombstone. Mm. I think a lot of shows have investigated there. Yeah, I know Ghost Adventures did. Like, mm-hmm. I really want to get back to Arizona now so I can actually see some of these places. There's one coming up that I have a really cool synchronicity about, actually. But that's coming up. I'll talk more about the synchronicity when I, when I get to the music. My music picks, actually. Oh, sweet. And I believe I got most of this. I didn't forgot to write this down, but I think most of this is from the phoenixghost.com website. But the Birdcage Theater opened on December 26th, 1881 in Tombstone. It was owned by Lottie and Billy Hutchinson. Hutchinson, a variety performer originally intended to present respectable family shows like he'd seen in San Francisco that were attended by large crowds. After the theater opened, they hosted a ladies' night for the respectable women of Tombstone who could attend for free. But as you can guess, the economics of Tombstone didn't really support their aspirations. Mm -hmm. They soon canceled the ladies' night and began offering baser entertainment that appealed to the rough mining crowd of men, including a saloon, brothel, and gambling parlor. Uh, The the brothel contained ladies that they called soiled doves. Those were the ladies of the evening. Or the painted ladies. They were either the painted ladies or, quote, soiled doves. I prefer painted ladies. Soiled doves sounds sketchy. Yeah. The theater got its name from the 14 cribs or cages draped with velvet which hung from the ceiling where the bar's prostitutes dressed in feathers would service their men. Yikes. Yeah, Krista. <laughs> Wish you could have seen Krista's face there. <laughs> One of the first acts at the birdcage was Mademoiselle de Granville, also known as the female Hercules and the woman with the iron jaw. She performed feats of strength, specializing in picking up heavy objects with her teeth. Is this like the birth of the sideshow phenomenon? <laughs> I don't know. They didn't have Netflix back then, so you went to see this girl pick up stuff with her teeth. <laughs> yeah. The New York Times called... Uh, the Birdcage Theater, quote, the wildest, wickedest night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. In its 13 years of operation, 26 people died in bar fights and shootouts. One of the most infamous deaths was that of a soiled dove named Margarita. According to the phoenixghost.com website, quote, the most gruesome murder at the Birdcage was due to a feud between one of the painted ladies and a madam at the Crystal Palace, a rival brothel. Margarita was known as the Belle of the Birdcage, and little Gertie, the gold dollar, was her rival at Crystal Palace. Little Gertie, the gold dollar. Billy Milgreen was one of little Gertie's regulars, as well as her live-in lover. Margarita wasn't a friend. lover? Live-in lover. Oh, live-in. Yep. Okay. I was like, he's like really mad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, her live. he probably wasn't mad all the time. I'm sure little Gertie, the gold dollar, took care of that. Margarita wasn't afraid of little Gertie, vastly underestimating her ruthlessness because of her petite size. Little Gertie caught Billy and Margarita fraternizing in the birdcage, and thinking that Margarita was trying to steal her man, she attacked her. Little Gertie the gold dollar grabbed a double-edged stiletto that she had stashed and began hacking at Margarita's corset, hacking at her heart, and eventually chiseling her heart out of her chest. She left after the murder, making her escape as soon as the marshals arrived. Wow. Don't mess with little Gertie. No, do not mess with little Gertie. Dang. Margarita found that out the hard way. When the price of silver slid to 90 cents an ounce a few months later, the remaining mines in the area laid off workers. Many residents of Tombstone left, and it closed in 1892. The building was kept closed until it was purchased in 1934, when the new owners found that almost nothing had been disturbed since it had been closed in 1889. 
It had become a tourist attraction and is open to the public year-round, and it's still there as mm. a tourist attraction. Everything inside is intact, standing exactly as it was during the theater's heyday. That'd be cool to see. Oh, I'd love to see that. The theater is reported to be haunted. It was featured on the paranormal investigation shows Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Lab, and Fact or Faked Paranormal Files, among others. So I liked that one. I did, too. That was a good show. My girl was on there. Jael? Yeah. So it's been on a lot of ghost hunting shows. Visitors at the theater have reported being touched by an unexplainable force. Disembodied voices and raucous laughter can be heard near the stage as if someone is enjoying a performance. During the night tours offered by the museum, many have reported a faint smell of cigar smoke and whiskey. The piano has been known to strike a few chords when nobody's on it, and the sounds of dice being thrown, glasses clinking, and cards being shuffled are often heard. Apparitions of people dressed in late 19th century clothing have also been seen lingering in the empty cribs on the second floor, seemingly watching over the visitors. After closing time, staff have reported hearing the sounds of clinking glasses and cards shuffling. The haunting reports date back to 1921 when a school was built across the street, and students began to report the sounds of laughter and music coming from the abandoned building. According to that website, quote, The ghost of the slain soiled dove Margarita still haunts the birdcage. She is usually seen on stage, and one woman has seen Margarita naked behind the curtain, claiming that the theater was empty as Margarita stared off into the distance. The stiletto that little Gertie the Golden Dollar used to cut out Margarita's heart was recently found in a theater, so it is probable that Margarita's spirit is still attached to the murder weapon. Yeah. I don't know how they know that that's the one that was used to kill... covered in blood or... I don't know. Bits of heart attached to it? (laughs) Ew. (laughs) The ghost that many seem to encounter is the ghost of the lady in white. She usually wears a white dress and bonnet has been seen just by about everybody. A lady in white? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most common apparition ever. (laughs) But she's been seen by almost everyone who has worked at the museum. She seems to be a woman of high status, seemingly out of place in a rough place like the birdcage. One employee encountered her in the poker room when she entered through the stairwell and stood in front of the employee for a while, not reacting to her presence. Many other people report similar experiences where the lady in white doesn't acknowledge the presence of others. Despite being the most commonly seen ghost in the theater, nobody knows who she is. There is one ghost who is bound to the theater, although she lurks outside. Carmelita Jimenez, one of the brothel's painted ladies, poisoned herself with arsenic in 1888. She was found throwing up by her boyfriend after he came home from work. Her boyfriend and cousin took her in for medical treatment, but the doctors couldn't save her. She died the next day. The Birdcage Theater closed its doors that day in her honor. The crying ghost of Carmelita Grimenez can be seen wandering around Tombstone at night, hanging around the brothel that drove her to commit suicide. Another story tells of a statue of Wyatt Earp that was made and placed into one of the cribs overlooking the theater. When it was first placed there, staff would arrive in the morning to find that the statue's hat was continuously knocked off and thrown onto the floor below. This occurred over and over and over for about six months. The statue had a hat that could be removed? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, like, I want to say it was more like a wax figure than a statue. You know what I mean? But it had a hat. And they'd come in in the morning and it would always be on the floor. Interesting. On one occasion, staff came in to find that the statue was turned around with its back facing the view from below. That'd be weird. Sometime later, a local historian told the Huntleys that they had placed the Wyatt Earp statue in the crib that was usually reserved by the Clantons, their enemies. When the statue was moved to the crib that Wyatt actually frequented when he was alive, the hat tossing finally stopped. Hmm. On another occasion, a valuable antique poker chip, which had been missing for years, suddenly reappeared on the poker table. 
Upon finding it there, it was locked away in a safe until it could be authenticated by historians. However, when the historians finally arrived, they were disappointed to find that the chip had suddenly gone missing again. After the historians left, the chip reappeared in a locked desk drawer. So those are the hauntings. Uh, Just inside the entrance is also the tombstone merman, the remains of a small mummified creature in a glass box. I'm assuming that's... sounds legit. I'm assuming that's, (laughs) that's fake. And I just threw this in because I think this is interesting. Also, the longest poker game in history was played in the basement of the Birdcage Theater. Those who wished to play had to buy in for $1,000 up front. Among the notable people who played in this particular game were George Hurst, Diamond Jim Brady, Aldolphus Bush of the Bush Beer Company, oh, really? Doc Holliday, Bat Masterson, and Wyatt Earp. Perhaps, surprisingly, Buffalo Bill Cody was not present at the game. The poker game was played continuously 24 hours a day, seven days a week, continuing from 1881 to 1889 for a total of eight years. It's estimated that approximately $10 million was exchanged in the game during the eight years that it lasted. So throughout that time, people would get up and leave. Yeah, and then more people would join. It was constantly going. So, Yeah, so that's just crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Another... Haunted area, this one's tiny, but I just think this is interesting, is the lovingly titled, and this is going to be on anybody's uh, tour stop, Slaughterhouse Canyon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. According to a 2018 article on Medium.com called Slaughterhouse Canyon, the article says, quote, It was founded in the 1800s, originally called Luana's Canyon, by a family who lived in a wooden shack right in the heart of the canyon. The husband would leave his wife Luana, hence the name, and their two children for a couple of weeks at a time to bring back food and supplies. One day, though, he did not come back. As time went on, food became scarce and Luana could not stand seeing her children starve to death. As urban legend says, Luana became so psychotic due to starvation that she murdered her children and cut their bodies up into small pieces to end their suffering. With the pieces in hand, she took them to the nearby river and threw them in. It's said that she stayed wailing on the riverbank until she finally died from starvation. If you are near the canyon at night, many people believe that you can still hear the mother's screams and the bloody cries of the children. Well, that's horrifying. Yep. And then somebody on Reddit wrote, quote, As a teen growing up in Kingman, we all heard the stories of Slaughterhouse Canyon. My brother and I would go out to have bonfires out there and be teenage hooligans. But one night, about a minute after midnight or so, we heard what sounded like a wailing cry echo all around us. We looked for about half an hour before getting freaked out and decided to go home. It was so creepy and cool. Hmm. So there you go. Slaughterhouse Canyon. It has a real welcoming ring to it. It does. We should put a bed and breakfast in yeah, there. Yeah, it's inviting. Our next place that's haunted, and this is the one that I have the cool synchronicity about, but I'm going to get to that more when I talk about my music selection. But this is Casey Moore's Oyster House. And this is where I was, and I'm so mad that I didn't stop here at the time because I'd really love to see it. Casey Moore's Oyster House is a restaurant in Tempe, Arizona. It's located at the corner of 9th and Ash, right by Arizona State University. Because it's so close to ASU, it's a popular hangout for college students, but it's also known as one of the most haunted buildings in Arizona. Built in 1910, it was the home of William and Mary Moore and their family. William died in 1929 from a brain hemorrhage sitting by the fireplace in their home, and Mary died in an upstairs bedroom of natural causes in the 1940s. After the Moore family passed away, the house was abandoned. In the 1950s, the abandoned home became a boarding house slash drug house slash bordello where local youths came to party, drink, do drugs, and have sex. There are lots of stories of rapes, death, murders, and suicides. 
The house was bought out in 1973 and was fixed up and turned into a restaurant called Ninth and Ash. The restaurant had a little bit of success, but then was bought out again. The new restaurant was Casey Moore's Oyster House, an Irish-themed pub and seafood restaurant. I was looking at their menu and stuff. It looks really good. Irish-themed seafood restaurant? Irish-themed Irish, Irish -themed pub and seafood restaurant, okay. which is kind of a weird... It's an odd combination. A combination. Like a pub. But this place is like hugely popular there with like college okay. kids. From the phoenixghost.com website, quote... Quote, residents across the street have reportedly seen a woman dancing through the second floor window of the restaurant late at night. She usually appears around 4 a.m. and is sometimes accompanied by a man who dances with her. On at least four different occasions, neighbors have called the police who arrived to an empty house and untouched alarm system. Many suspect that the dancing couple are the ghosts of William and Mary Moore who danced the night away to music playing in the restaurant. Longtime residents say that the couple is glad to see their old home has been restored into a lively restaurant, prompting them to dance in celebration. Neighbors also say that the spirits of the dancing couple is accompanied by a strange, faint glow from the second-story window. The ghost of a young woman who was raped and murdered in the building has also been seen around the restaurant. Unlike the spirits of the Moors, she appears during business hours. Those who have seen her claim that she has dark hair and light eyes, and she appears at the corner of your eyes. She stares at you until you turn to look straight at her, and then she disappears. Creepy. The ghosts at Casey Moore's are known to pull some strange shenanigans. Many believe that some of the spirits from the bordello like to engage in mischief from the afterlife. The staff has set the tables, chairs, and silverware before closing, only to find them rearranged in the morning when opening. Staff and customers have also seen silverware launched from the tables on multiple occasions. Lamps have started swinging violently on their own. There is an account of a photo frame being launched across the restaurant with a nail still in the wall as if someone had lifted the picture and threw it across the room. When the old house was being transformed into the bar and restaurant it is today, a photograph of a young boy was discovered. Co-owner Patty St. Vincent kept the photograph, but it was not until later that she realized its significance. Over the years, employees of Casey's have told stories of seeing a boy frequently roaming around the house. St. Vincent rediscovered the old tattered photograph and showed it to employees who confirmed her suspicions. The bizarre sightings of the young boy are the boy in the picture. Hmm. And that's weird. Mm -hmm. Like when people see this boy and then they find the photograph there's and there's a picture of the, the boy. Talk about validating. Yeah. But that is Casey Moore's Oyster House. And hmm. I so badly want to visit there. The next one is the Vendome. I think it's Vendome. V-E-N-D-O-M-E or Vendome. Hmm. Probably Vendome Hotel. According to the awesome, this is a really good site too, hauntedhouses.com. It's just hauntedhouses.com, but it's this couple that goes around to places all around the country that are supposed to be haunted and they like stay there and they like write their reports and stuff. And it's That's actually cool. a really cool site, hauntedhouses.com. Quote, in 1917, the city of Prescott was a very popular place. People were moving here to try their luck at mining or to take the opportunities created by mining to earn a living. Other folks found that the dry desert air was just right to try to beat tuberculosis or other chronic illnesses. Prescott was widely advertised as a health center and attracted many summer visitors who enjoyed the climate and stayed on to recover from TB during the mild winters. During this period, a number of sanitariums, as well as rooming houses, boarding houses, and hotels for their families came into being. Built in 1917 by a wealthy rancher named Mr. Jones, 
The Hotel Vendome was advertised as an attractive small hotel with 30 rooms and 16 baths, wide verandas upstairs and down, an attractive lobby, hot and cold water in all rooms, night and day phone service with buzzers in all rooms, excellent steam heat, free parking one half block from the plaza, one block east of Highway 89, and and rates that are reasonable starting at $1.50 for a single bedroom. Dang. Yeah, cheaper in those days. Mm, A little bit. Yeah. The local newspaper, the Prescott Journal Miner, said that the Vendome Hotel was, quote, the classiest place in town. When it was first built in 1917, it offered 31 guest rooms and 16 bathrooms. I don't like the idea of not having your own bathroom. No, no. That is a, that is a deal breaker for yep, me. Yep, 100%. Sorry. Both locals and out-of-towners fell in love with the beloved establishment throughout the 20th century, becoming a favorite building in Prescott. Staying here was a relaxing place to unwind and enjoy the comforts offered in this upscale Western-style hotel. In 1983, the Hotel Vendome was still well-loved by the community, but was looking a bit frumpy and run down. It had fallen into the cycle of being a low-rent boarding house that didn't make much money. It was in need of restoration and renovations for the modern guest. One group of investors stepped up to the plate, and when they had to bail out, another group took over. This group did a huge restoration, as well as adding private bathrooms, air conditioning, and heat. I bet you it sucked not having air conditioning in there. (laughs) Yeah. The Hotel Vendome has had many owners throughout the years. One of the first owners was a couple who thought that they were very much in love. Thought, uh-oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember reading this. Their story begins with a woman, Abby, who had come to Prescott in the late teens for treatment for her tuberculosis. She was one of many sufferers of this disease that came to Arizona. The famous Doc Holliday was also a TB sufferer when he went to Tombstone along with the Earp brothers to help Sheriff Virgil Earp. I just smacked my microphone. Oh. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Abby met and fell in love and married a man named Mr. Burr, B-Y-R. This couple in 1921 bought the Hotel Vendome and ran the hotel. Unfortunately, they lost the hotel because of unpaid taxes. The new owners kindly let the Burrs stay in room 16, located on the second floor off the veranda, and hired them to continue to manage the Vendome. Mr. Burr lovingly took care of Abby in her chronic condition, and they lived there happily until tragedy struck. One day, Burr went out to get Abby some medication, and he never came back, either because he met with foul play or cracked up and just left her, but Abby was devastated. She was so heartbroken that she refused to eat, and she died in her room, which was room 16. Throughout the years since, visitors have experienced tons of ghostly phenomena in the hotel. It mostly boils down to two spirits that are said to haunt the hotel. The first one, obviously, is Abby. Guests that stay in room 16 often report a feeling of being gently touched, and they feel a gentle, cool breeze blow past them, often smelling perfume as it happens. Guests can hear and feel the unseen presence of Abby sit on the bed. Abby will occasionally make a visual appearance in her room. She started to appear after World War II. It's also been said that Abby has spoken to guests when they're in a sleep state. Abby seems to be fascinated with lights, fans, and faucets because these seem to turn themselves on and off a lot in the hotel. Maids, while cleaning up the various rooms, sometimes have the TV on when they work. They have reported that Abby will turn down the sound on the TV if it's a show she doesn't like, but she'll turn the sound back up if they switch channels. And it's said that Abby absolutely hates MTV. Like, if you put MTV on, (laughs) Abby wants nothing to do with it. She probably misses when they played videos. (laughs) She, She probably does. But people that stay in room 16 like almost always bring gifts that they leave for Abby, which I think is really cool. Like mm-hmm. like nothing bad is happening. Like Abby is supposedly like a super sweet ghost. Male and female footsteps have both been heard in room 16, which travel down the hall and descend down the stairs to How the lobby. How do you lobby. know the difference between I a male don't know. and a female footsteps? I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, Huff Paranormal picked up some EVP voices of friendly spirits in room three, a male and female. And these spirits seem to follow Mr. Huff and Debbie into room 16. So Abby is one of the two ghosts that are said to, to lurk the hotel. And the other ghost is that of a cat named Noble. Guests have left kitty toys in room 16 for Noble the cat. Guests have heard this, <laughs> guests have heard this ghost cat batting at the coat hangers in the closet and playing with a kitty toy on the floor of the room. They hear the bell inside the toy jingling. The spirit of Noble the kitty likes to sit beside guests on the bed. Sometimes the living hear kitty noises coming from this friendly animal spirit. Some people report hearing it purring and even hear it meowing. Oh, that'd be awesome. And it's said that the spirit of Noble the kitty will rub gently against the living. I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I really want to go to this. That one freak me I, out. No, I really want to go stay. Especially Abby, too, sounds awesome. I really want to stay in this place. Many guests, staff, and paranormal investigators have had personal experiences with the spirits who reside or visit here. Guests at the hotel are encouraged to write down their experiences with Abby and Noble in a book that was kept in room 16 when we stayed there. The current owners say on their website in their booking area under the description of room 16 that the spirits of Abby and her cat are still there, saying, quote, Come share a room with our friendly resident ghost Abby and her mischievous companion Noble the cat. So either way, many people like to come keep her in noble company, and sometimes the spirits like to show their appreciation. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. I really want to. I really, really want to see that hotel. That'd be cool. It would be cool. I like ghost stories where it's like nothing bad, scary. <laughs> super scary. <laughs> yeah. Just Abby and her cat. And lastly, a big one, and I want to give a big thank you to Michelle, listener Michelle, for this because I told her I was doing Arizona, and she said, "You of course talked about." Jerome didn't you and I was like no so I got rid of one that I was doing and our last one we have is pretty much the whole city of Jerome this comes from the legendsofamerica.com website quote like most places in Arizona this area was first inhabited by Native Americans as far back as 1100 AD there were several groups of ancient Indians that thrived in the Verde Valley and there were copper mines in the area, and the Native Americans used to use the copper in their face paint. Then gold started to be found, and you can imagine what happened there. Mm-hmm. By the 1880s, investors began to see the potential in copper and gold, and a number of mines were established, including the United Verde Copper Company in 1882. Owned by territorial governor Frederick Tritle, the governor obtained financing from New York investors James McDonald and Eugene Jerome, for whom the town was named. The town boomed for the next year until the price of copper plummeted and the mine was forced to close. Though it caused a number of people to leave, the town hung on and continued to slowly grow. By September of 1883, a post office was established, which has never closed. Typical of many bustling mining camps, Jerome quickly gained a reputation of a rough and rowdy town with its many saloons, gambling dens, and brothels. So much so that on February 5th, 1903, the New York Sun proclaimed Jerome to be, quote, the wickedest town in the West. After the war, the price of copper ore began to decline and then became harder and harder to extract from the mountain. By the time the Great Depression began, Jerome, along with the rest of the nation, was in a full-blown depression, and by 1930, all the mines in the area had closed. After the war, prices dropped once again, and finally in 1952, Phelps Dodge closed its entire operations in Jerome forever. With no work, families moved in the masses. Many, with no buyers for their homes, simply left them, complete with furnishings, before making their way onto other opportunities. 
With only about 100 residents left in the town, buildings began to deteriorate, continue to slip down the hill, or suffered vandalism over the next two decades despite the efforts of the Jerome Historical Society. That's depressing. However, in the late 1960s, new residents, enchanted with the old town, began to move in once again. It soon developed into an artist community and tourist destination. On April 19, 1967, the, the Jerome Historic District was officially designated as a registered National Historic Landmark, and so that the past may live became the town's official motto. The town began to promote itself as America's newest and biggest ghost town, and more and more tourists began to visit, with some deciding to stay and make it their home, gradually increasing the town's population. Today, this quaint town of about 400 residents provides tourists with not only a view of the past and its numerous historic buildings, but also a number of specialty shops, craft, sh- craft stores, restaurants, and galleries. It sounds like an amazing place to visit. It does sound awesome. And take a, walking to- take a walking tour of Jerome where you'll see restored historic structures and others with plans for restoration. But it has a ton of ghosts. So the areas in town that are said to be haunted, the first one is the community center. One of the town's most well-known ghosts is said to lurk at the town's community center. Formerly called Lawrence Memorial Hall, the building is called around town, quote, Spook Hall, due to several strange happenings. Before the building was built, in its place stood several small shacks, referred to as cribs, used by the, quote, sporting ladies who live there and entertain their guests. In one of these lived a prostitute who was stabbed to death by a miner. It is this forlorn soul that is said to be often seen standing in front of Spook Hall, lingering there momentarily before moving onward towards a hotel where she suddenly vanishes. Hmm. Another haunted place is Mile High Inn. One of the more popular ladies of the evening was Madame Jenny Banters, who became one of the richest women in northern Arizona. The Mile High Inn was originally built in 1899 in Jerome and was known as the Clinksdale Building. Built over the ashes of a burnt outbuilding, the new structure had 18-inch thick walls to make it as fireproof as possible. Sometime later, the building became the home of Madame Jenny Banter's popular bordello, where Jenny and her ladies entertained numerous men. Later, when the town began to take on a more civilized manner, the bordellos were forced to move their business off Main Street, and an alley called Husband's Alley was born. Though Jenny had done well for herself, too, she allegedly lost her life to a client after moving from her Main Street location. By this time, prostitution was illegal, but continued to thrive in Jerome until the 1940s. In the meantime, the building became a hardware store on the lower level, and the upstairs portion was used as apartments. Over the years, several businesses were housed here until it became the inn that it is today. The charming eight-guest room in not only caters to Jerome tourists, but it also continues to play host to Jenny Banters herself and several other resident ghosts, including a phantom cat that walks the halls and leaves footprints on the bed. As in life, Jenny is the most popular of the inn's unearthly guests. The former madam of the brothel is often seen in the quote, lariat and lace room. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a... Uh, Part of the uh, brothel? Yeah, it sounds like a theme room that you want to stay in. <laughs> Often seen in the lariat and lace room, as well as keeping an eye on the kitchen, where she lets her presence be known by throwing objects that are not put away properly. She's also been known to move things around throughout the inn, including furnishings and smaller objects, as well as often turning on ceiling fans. It is often said that she turns the radio on in rooms just as maids come to clean them. Music always makes time go by faster. An elderly gentleman is also said to roam about the inn. A friendly apparition, he has been seen dressed in vintage work clothes and a felt hat, looking down at the alley from the window in the pillow talk room. 
in this, these rooms are pretty Hello, sketchy. Yeah. In this room, he's also in this room. He also reportedly leaves his indentation on the bed. Also blamed on this old man are wall hangings and pictures often rearranged or placed in the armoire of the kiss and tell room. The armoire doors here have also been known to open and close on their own. Another younger man who isn't so friendly evidently loves to startle guests and staff alike. Although he doesn't hurt anyone, he allegedly loves to blow cold winds through guest rooms and has been known to appear as a shadowy figure in the Victorian Rose Room as well as in the restaurant. This hazy figure is often seen wearing a grumpy look of disapproval on his face. Other phenomena include locked doors that open and close by themselves, mysteriously rearranging furniture, utensils that fly off their resting places in the kitchen, cold winds blowing through the rooms, and a statue that constantly turns itself around. In the Victorian Rose Room, the smell of roses or perfume is often detected, and the water faucets tend to turn on and off by themselves. What's the statues turning themselves around? I don't know. That's, is that in <laughs> like Arizona? Arizona? Is that like an Arizona thing? The most active place in this building is probably the restaurant and kitchen. Here, whistling is often heard in the bar area. Metal signs have flown off the wall. Glasses slide off tables with a crash. A woman has been heard singing, and electrical devices seemingly have a mind of their own, turning on and off at will. I got to visit Jerome. Jerome sounds like a... A paranormal investigator's dream come true. Yeah. Next is is the Connor Hotel in Jerome. First built by David Connor, uh, calling itself Connor's Corner, it was erected in 1897 by David Connor. The three-story brick hotel offered 20 guest rooms as well as a saloon, card rooms, and billiards on the first floor. In room one, a tale circulates that the first guest to stay in the hotel was its electrician, who was frightened by whispers and the sounds of women laughing in the room. Later, he felt cold chills in a room and spent the rest of the night sleeping out in his van. Since that time, other strange events have often been reported, including doors opening on their own and odd images appearing in photographs. In room two, it's said that objects tend to move around of their own will, including furnishings and small guest items. In room four, guests and staff have reported hearing an old man coughing and a dog growling. That'd be creepy. Yeah. Growling's never a yep. welcome sound. And another one is the Jerome Grand Hotel. And I think this is like the big one in the town is the Jerome Grand Hotel. Perched above downtown Jerome, high above Cleopatra Hill, is another haunted hotel, the Jerome Grand Hotel. Originally, this building served as the United Verde Hospital, which opened in 1927. In 1994, the building was purchased by the Alther family from the Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation, and the restoration to its current glory as the Jerome Grand Hotel began. All effort was given to maintaining the interior and exterior integrity of the historic building, and in 1996, it finally reopened as the Jerome Grand Hotel. Almost from the beginning, the building has had a history of hauntings, perhaps because of the many people who died there or the emotional trauma suffered by the many housed in its asylum. As a result, it's said to be one of the most haunted buildings in Arizona, with several strange phenomena occurring over the decades. Shortly after the hospital opened, both patients and staff began to tell stories of hearing people talking, coughing, moaning, and cries of distress coming from empty rooms. Some believe that they might have possibly been coming from the sound of many lingering spirits who had died in the deathly flu epidemic of 1917, although the hospital wasn't even built at that time. That doesn't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> One of the first reports of a spectral soul was a woman dressed in white that began to be seen on the hospital balcony shortly after its opening. 
Thought to have been a nurse, the phantom lingered for years but has apparently moved on as she has not been seen since the building became a hotel. One spirit that has lurked in the building for many years is that of an old bearded miner. His appearance was first reported by a hospital patient who reported having seen the bearded man gliding down the hallway, turning on all the lights on his way. Another nurse during the building's hospital reign reported having seen a bearded man standing at the very end of the hallway. However, when she approached him, the man mysteriously disappeared. Today, the hotel guests continue to report seeing the ghostly vision of the bearded man, especially on the second and third floors. Another spirit, that of a small boy, described as about six years old, has also been spied on the third floor. The phenomena described in the historic hotel includes all manner of strange occurrences, including the sounds of phantom footsteps going up and down the stairs and hallways, doors that open and close on their own, objects that move of their own free will, and electrical appliances that turn on and off by themselves. Many of these bizarre happenings occur before the housekeeping staff, who has seemingly become favorite targets, sometimes hearing their names being called out by phantom voices. However, they say that the ghosts are friendly enough and that when they ask them to stop, it does stop for a few days. Hmm. That's, that's polite. That is nice to the ghosts. The hotel lobby is an active place for many spirits. Here, the lobby doors have often been seen opening and closing by themselves like someone is coming or leaving. Chairs have been rearranged while desk clerks turn their backs. That would creep me out. Mm-hmm. Items have flown off the shelves in a gift shop as well as from the walls in the lobby. The lobby desk has also received several phone calls from empty rooms, so it comes as no surprise when a line is picked up that no one is on the other end. That creeps me out. Yeah. You don't like phone stuff. <laughs> no, I don't like phone stuff. Near the old 1926 elevator, which is still operational, a finely dressed elderly woman in white has often been seen standing. But the hotel's most famous ghost is that of a man named Claude Harvey, who was a hospital maintenance worker in 1935. Harvey, who was well-known in Jerome, was more often called Scotty by townsfolk, died in the building. When Harvey's body was found pinned under the elevator in the basement, his death was ruled an accident. Strangely, though, the inquest into his death determined that the elevator did not kill him. Some said perhaps that he jumped to his death, but the vast majority suspect instead that he was murdered and his body dumped at the bottom of the elevator shaft. The elevator was found to have been in perfect working order, and uh, Harvey was an experienced maintenance man, so it makes no sense that he was found below mm-hmm. the elevator with his neck broken, and the only other mark on his body was a small scrape behind his ear. Rumors abounded with a number of theories and potential suspects, but the cause of death remains officially an accident. Almost immediately after his death, though, strange occurrences began in the building, especially in and around the elevator. Lights in the elevator shaft have been seen, and the sound of creaking elevator has long been heard, even when the building was vacant. No power was on, and today it's still unused. Others have claimed to see the figure of a shadowy man in the basement, on the stairs, and near the elevator. This spectral man has been described as appearing furious. I don't ever want to see a ghost that appears furious. No, me neither. Others have felt an angry presence. Many speculate that Harvey has unfinished business here on Earth, not resting until his murderer has been caught. Though his spirit is said to make those who he encounters uncomfortable, Harvey has never hurt anyone. Other spirits are said to roam throughout the hotel, attributed to several tragic events in the building, including a man in a wheelchair who fell from a balcony, a victim from a shooting, and a caretaker who hung himself. A woman in white is sometimes seen roaming the hallways, and a small child has been seen running through the bar area. Guests and staff continue to report being pushed in the hallways, doors slammed shut by themselves, Ghostly cries are heard, and photographs persistently develop with ghostly hazes and numerous orbs. 
The Jerome Grand Hotel was featured in a segment of the popular Sightings television show several years ago and has been investigated by several ghost hunting groups who have reportedly recorded paranormal activity on film and audio. Today, it provides 23 fully restored modern rooms with more rooms available in the future as it continues to renovate. It is Jerome's only full-service hotel with its own bar, restaurant, gift shop, and a 24-hour front desk. I really want to, I really want to visit that place. And more phenomena in Jerome, just below the hotel on Cleopatra Hill, is an abandoned building that was once a clinic. It was here that many of those killed in the 1917 flu epidemic lost their lives. The building has a long reputation of being haunted, as numerous tales are told of former patients being seen in windows of the abandoned building. And further down the slope stands the old Episcopal Church, where a white misty figure has often been seen walking around. Beneath the streets of Jerome, the mountain is still filled with several abandoned mine shafts and tunnels. These too are said to be haunted, especially by a miner named, quote, Headless Charlie. Decapitated in a mining accident years ago, Charlie's head was found, but his body was never found. Almost immediately after his death, miners began to report hearing unexplained footsteps, seeing unexplainable footprints, and seeing a shadowy headless spirit. Many believe his spirit continues to stalk the dark tunnels beneath the city. In the Cribs district, which was where the prostitutes worked, many have reported paranormal phenomena in this alley, including the feeling of being watched, the sound of phantom footsteps, hearing girls giggling, a persistent odor of perfume, and strange shadows that move around at night. With all the other apparitions wandering about this historic town, the town's cemetery, of course, includes its own paranormal activity. It includes graves dating from 1897 to 1942. Visitors here have made numerous reports of dark figures moving amongst the tombstones at night, the sound of footsteps, and the sound of distant voices. So there you go. Wow. There is some. Place there, is haunted. There is that, I want to visit Jerome. Jerome is on our list now of places to visit on our cross-country ghost trip. That's Jim's middle name, by the way. Jerome? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. So there you go. There is some Arizona stuff. Hopefully it was cool. Or hot. Or hot. Probably hot. <laughs> no in Arizona. Uh, if you guys want us to do your state, let us know. We maybe do another one this season. Okay. Do another strange states. But so far we've done what? Idaho. We've done Arizona, Idaho, Colorado. Missouri. Missouri. Half of Wisconsin. Half of Wisconsin. Ohio cryptids. Is that it? Maybe. The, we got to get a map. and We got to get a map and start crossing them off. It's actually really hard to find like a paper map these days. It is. It is. So there you go. That is Arizona. Hopefully that was to your liking. I really, really want to get back there. But I'm going to tie that in with our song choices. Okay. For a while, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I don't know what it was, but a lot of the bands that I absolutely loved were from the Tempe, Arizona area. Weird. Like Tempe had a really, really good music scene. Hmm. Um, I originally had four songs picked, and I took out the last one because I think I'm almost going to do a mini or a side session about that song alone because there's a lot you can talk about with that song. So today I have three choices, actually. One of these I've talked about on here before, but the one that I think the one that I had a weird synchronicity with, and this is by a band that I absolutely love. And I don't know if I've really talked about them on here a lot, and they are from the Tempe, Arizona, and that is the band Jimmy Eat World. Mm. Like, I adore mm-hmm. Jimmy Eat World. They're, 
I think it's a self-titled album. It, it was called Bleed American, but then 9-11 happened, so they got rid of the Bleed American. Mm. But it's the one. It's their album that has the middle in it. It has... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of other... So there were other singles off of there. But, but that album is one of the albums that I listen to where there is not a bad song on it. Like, every song on that album is really, really good. And there is a song on that album called If You Don't, Don't. And that is one of my favorite songs by Jimmy Eat World. That's always been one of my favorite songs by them. And it's just your basic Jimmy Eat World kind of like rock and roll song. But I love this song and I've always loved this song. And a couple, I want to say two months ago, when I was laying in bed, the song was going through my head. And there's a, a lyric in the song. And there's a lot of lyrics in that song that are specific to something. And one of the lyrics in that song was Ninth and Ash on a Tuesday night. So I was looking up at to see what some of the stuff in the song was about. And Ninth and Ash, I looked up and Ninth and Ash in Tempe, it said it was a restaurant that the band mm -hmm. used to visit. And that ended mm -hmm. up, when I was doing the research for this article, I went to Casey Moore's page and I saw the address and that's the, 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 band, the restaurant that the band was talking about in that song was Casey Moore's Oyster House which was one of the places I talked about in this episode as being haunted. Ah, funny. So I just think that's so cool that, yeah. that that was a weird synchronicity that this place showed up twice, like for me now. But it is the song, If You Don't, Don't by Jimmy Eat World. Love, love, love Jimmy Eat World. And I really love this song. So I'm going to post that in the group. My other one I have, I've talked about on here, is by the group The Refreshments, which were also a Tempe band. And I've mentioned it on here in the past. It is the song Nada, N-A-D-A. And it's just such a good song. And this is like a, when you picture like Arizona deserts and stuff, this is the song you picture. And I think the guitar work in this song is great. And a couple YouTube comments on here. I have two of them. One person wrote, quote, I remember listening to this album casually and enjoying the hell out of it. One day I just sat in absolute wonder when I actually stopped and listened to this song. Absolute genius. So effortless, so perfect, so eloquent. The phrasing and tone are just mind-blowingly astonishing. I keep trying to play this album for my friends to get them to truly appreciate what it is I hear, and it's so disheartening that they don't seem to recognize the brilliance of this music. And another comment on YouTube is, quote, One of my favorite memories, and I mean a moment so full that you carry it with you for your whole life, was being in the desert at Rocky Point in October, I think of 2003. I was out with a friend who turned me on to the band The Refreshments in the 90s, and our little portable stereo started playing the song Nada. We were drinking warm tequila from the bottle and tearing limes open with a Swiss army knife that was too dull to cut. <laughs> About halfway through the song, it started to rain, and I swear that God was in every drop. I like that. I think that's mm -hmm. so cool. But it's just such, it's the song starts with a harmonica and then after a little, little harmonica part, the drums kick in and it's just such a good song. And it, it it's on my top, it's in my top five favorite songs. It's in my top three favorite songs actually. And that is Nada by The Refreshments. The Refreshments have broken up, but their two albums are just amazing. Most people know them for the song uh, Bandidos. And it's one of those songs that I think if you hear, if I hear it, I'd know it. Yeah, if you heard it, if you heard it, I think you would know it. But there, it was popular because of that. But everybody that has ever listened to this album or heard the band says that this is like their song. Nada is their song that that should be known by everybody. And my last music picks, my my last music pick is just a personal one to me, because uh, in the 
like early 2000s, I must have been like 30 or whatever, I was obsessed with this band. And this is a band that nobody has really ever heard of. You know, they were a small band out of Tempe, out of the Tempe music scene. And I don't remember how I first heard them, but I was just in love with them. And I got to be friends with other people who were like hardcore into the band. And it was just, it's one of those neat things where there's a band that you like that nobody really knows about. And you're with this small community of people who you have this in common that you love this band. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is your typical 2000, 2001 punky like rock band. And I don't know what it was about them, but I was obsessed with this band. I still have like some of their band t-shirts at home and nobody's ever heard of them. And it sucks because they were a really good band. And the band's name was Pollen, P-O-L-L-E-N. And I was so obsessed with them. And I, I still like talk to some of the guys on Facebook from the band. And I'm still friends with the friends I made that were fans of the band. But I'm going to post the song A Clear Complexion by them because I love the song A Clear Complexion. And that is the band Pollen. And that's just really personal to me because I love that band. Hmm. So there you go. Those are my Tempe area bands. I had one more, but I'm going to do a whole, I think a whole side session about it. But I'll tell you, I think it's one of the best songs of the 90s, hmm. if not the best song of the early 90s. And it is the song uh, Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms. Oh. Mm. Such a good song, but there's a lot of story behind that song. Okay. So those are my three songs. I will post them in the group. Cool. What else we got? Uh, I will recommend a show on Netflix. It's called Bad Vegan. <laughs> Never heard of it. It's a documentary, about. it's kind of like a true crime documentary, and it is crazy that's all i will say through the whole thing you're gonna be going you're just gonna not believe what's happening (laughs) it's just like a really crazy crazy story but it's like at the end got me intrigued because i have no idea what this is at the end of every episode they of course have a cliffhanger that you have to watch the next and i think it's really short it might only be like four episodes so bad vegan it's called really good (laughs) that sounds cool okay we got two questions okay first one by Anonymous, favorite animals to visit at the zoo? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I haven't been to a zoo in decades. I, I'm i a big fan of the big cats, though. If I if I can yeah. have a chance to see like a lion or something, yeah. that's like a big deal to me. I, I have a love-hate thing with zoos. I, yeah. I hate that animals are kept in zoos, but I also sometimes, like going there though, sometimes. Sometimes, though, that's the only way to further their existence. It, exactly. So, I mean, it's a weird love-hate thing. But it depends on the zoo, maybe. If I go to a zoo... If they're in a zoo, I'll go to the penguins. I, I adore mm. penguins. I love going over to the penguins. <laughs> I wish but, we had pandas because those things are crazy I know. and hilarious. But like you, I love the big cats. Mm-hmm. I like the cougars and stuff like that. You know, going to the zoo and seeing them. But it's also, but it, it sucks because I like the zoo, but there's always this feeling of sadness mm-hmm. for the animals when I go they're there. Because they're captive. Because they're captive. And I don't know. I mean, I, I like the zoo, but at the same time, I don't. There is one that's in the Manitowoc area that we went to once. And I remember it was like, I don't know if it was a wolf or something. And it just paced and paced yep. and Yeah, paced. that's the, that's the I wolf. I know, bad. that's the Manitowoc one because I know the wolf you're talking yeah. about. I know right where that is. I and did feel bad about that. Yeah, I still go there every now and then. If I have like time to kill, I'll go walk through the zoo. And it's just like, ugh, I know, but that wolf just, and it, you can see that it's worn a mm-hmm. path from its pacing. And it just sucks because I just can't be happy there because I feel mm-hmm. so bad for the animals but a penguin if they're at the zoo and if not a big cat yeah the big cats are cool because you feel like you're just so close to a predator but you're safe you know yeah. you get to observe them up close yeah and our, our next question by anonymous 
An unknown uncle of yours dies and leaves you an item stored in a wax seal chest with odd runic carvings around the chest. Do like you open it? Box? Do you open it? <laughs> Hell yeah, you Hell do. Hell yes, I do. I want to know <laughs> what's in podcast. there because I think <laughs> I didn't even think about it on the podcast, but I want to know what's in there because it sounds like something that's going to lead to a cool discovery or, or possession. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. going to could lead yes, to either. That too. It could lead to either, but yeah, my Unleash first Unleash some kind of virus on the world, who knows. <laughs> my first instinct is yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hell yeah, I'm going to open that. Live on the show. <laughs> yep, live on the show. I might go back on the couch while Krista opens it because I don't know what's going to pop out of there. Yeah. But yeah. Like a jack in the box. 100%. I mean, would I, would part of me be like, do I want to know what's in mm-hmm. here if it has ruins around it? I don't know if we'd it? open it here. Maybe we'd do <laughs> outside. <laughs> a show somewhere else. We'd pick a listener. We'd go to one of our listeners. Yes. Here, can we open this at your place? <laughs> it could be a demon. Who knows? We're not sure. But the runic carvings around the chest throw me off a little yeah. bit. Like something is being kept in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That reminds me of a Dybbuk box. Yeah, it does totally reminds me of a Dybbuk box. My first my first instinct is hell yeah, but I think I would have to think about it. Not and then here. I'm, and then I don't, yeah, maybe not here. We'll go to a hotel or yeah, something. Yeah, we'll go to a hotel to open it. So there you go. Those are our two questions from listeners. Uh, let's do a joke. Okay. What did the flashlight, the camera, and the remote controlled car... At- Sorry. Why <laughs> did the flashlight, the camera, and the remote controlled car... Attend the funeral. Why? They were grieving the dead batteries. That's a bad one. I'll read another one. Why didn't the team play with the third basketball? Why? Because it was an oddball. These wow. are getting up there. Those are the getting as jokes. bad as the pickle jokes. I was going to bring the book back today and I totally forgot because we sent Todd, I sent Todd his stuff. Well, I'll bring it back next time because I know you missed that bad You pickle. did send him yeah. his stuff yep. though? Yep, okay. that's all sent out. Um, but I know you missed that book. Yeah. So I think that is it. This is going to be either a long episode or not long episode, depending on if we have to cut out the entire taste test stuff. Yeah. So again, that's my bad. I should have checked that stupid microphone, and I'm mad about that, but what can you do? We'll know next time. Yep. At least there's the camera footage of us yeah, eating it. definitely. But I think that's it. I think so, Hopefully too. this was okay. Uh, Strange States episodes, I feel like, are good, but they meld into each other where it's... You know, every state has its haunted places, Cryptids. and there's only so much yeah. weird stuff you can talk about. But I, I want to stay. Enjoy them, I want to stay at that hotel Vendome with the Abby and the gir- the ghost cat. I mm-hmm. really want to stay there. I think what's cool about the Strange States episode is it gives people place like a destination to yeah. visit if they yep. want to. I still dream of us doing a road a road, a trip. road trip, but maybe one day we'll see. So I think that is it for Krista and I. We are going to sashay into our side session, Mm -hmm. which this time is all about music. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a researched one. This is just Krista and I talking off the, I was going to say talking out of our butts, but talking Talking off off the the top, talking off the cuff. (laughs) Yeah. So from Krista. That was the fart episode. That was the fart (laughs) episode, talking out of our butt. Thank you guys so much for the the food stuff and the stuff you guys have sent us. Yeah, I'm psyched about this Jardinera. We absolutely love you guys so much. So thank you for all of that. Uh, Hopefully next time I'm on here, I'm in a better mood. My back doesn't hurt. I don't forget to turn on the microphone for the taste test, (laughs) but we're going to see. So I think from Krista and I in the strange cellar, until next time, stay Stay strange. strange.